So, Lord willing, I want us to read through this whole chapter this morning. And uh, we'll read each story or each parable individually. And then I'm going to talk about one main thought. Uh, There's probably a lot of thoughts from these parables. A lot of territory that we could cover. But I believe Jesus' focus here, as we've been seeing, is, are you ready for my return? So we're going to look at three main ideas related to that. Start with me in verse 1, Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. I believe this is the key verse, personally, to this parable. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. The main thought that I take Uh, from this particular parable. I believe that Jesus is contrasting those who think they are Christians, but they're not, with those who really are Christians. And we'll talk about that for a number of reasons. If, If you'll first of all just notice these virgins, all ten of them, they have at least three things in common. Number one, they were all, all got an invitation to the wedding feast. Number two, they all responded to that invitation in some fashion or another. And number three, they all thought they were going into the wedding feast. So they have all those things in common. And I think in a, in a similar way, there are, there are many people in our day who think they're Christians, but they are not genuine Christians. This is not the first time Jesus has talked about this. Remember all the way back in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus said, many will come to me in that day and will say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do all these things in your name? And he said, I will have to say to them, depart from me, You who practice lawlessness, I never knew you. So again, they thought they were Christians. They thought they were 
on their way to heaven, but they were not. And so I believe that's the main point here. And so I'd like to give a challenge as we go through each of these three parables. I'd like to give a challenge for us about how we can be ready, how we can be more ready. And the challenge I would like to give here is examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Uh, And we see this a number of times in the New Testament where we are challenged to look at ourselves, to look at our heart, to see if we are really in the faith, if we are really genuine Christians. Here's Here's a good way to start. I would just ask yourself this question. Do I feel like I'm a pretty good person, and so really God ought to let me into heaven? Or would you feel more like this? Lord, I am a dirty, rotten sinner. I need a Savior. Which one is more like you? I would ask yourself that question. The the genuine questions are, have you been born again? Has a transformation taken place inside of your heart? Do you love the Bible Do you want to understand it and live it out? Do you want to be with God's people? Do you feel guilty when there's sin in your life? Do you feel God saying to you, as I often do, saying what you did was wrong? Hopefully that becomes less and less, but do you feel those things? And if so, I believe those are evidences that that God's in your life. But have you called on his name and asked him, dear God, save my soul and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Examine yourselves would be the challenge there. All right, going with me into the second story Jesus tells. He says, verse 14, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But, and notice the drastic difference in the response of these men. But, he who received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now again, notice the drastic difference in verse 24. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you know that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed, then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him, and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So one main thought from this parable. I believe here that Jesus is probably contrasting those who want to serve the Savior with those who do not want to serve Him. And I, and I think as you look at the response of these different men, you see a very drastic response. The, one, the, the, the first two, are, are, they're excited. They're like, yes, you entrusted this to me. And so I've gone and I have put it to good use. But the third slave is entirely different. He, even, he does not even seem to like his master. I knew you to be a hard man. I took it and I hid it in the ground. It's like he didn't want his master, almost it seems, to get a return on it. Because as as the master points out to him at the very end, he could have simply taken it to the bank and deposited it there. And it would have automatically, basically, earned interest. It's almost like he didn't even want his master to get any gain from it. And he went and he hid it in the ground and he brings it back and he says... Here's what's yours. It's almost like he doesn't like his master. So a challenge from this parable. If you find yourself in this position, that you're really not so sure about this Jesus thing, who he is, you're not sure you like this whole Bible thing, my challenge to you would be, the first challenge was examine yourself. The second challenge is to examine the Savior. Examine the Savior. He is humble. He is gentle. As the Bible describes Him, He would not put out a smoldering wick or break a blade of grass that's already been bruised. Jesus came to this earth laid aside His glory. He was in charge, creator of the universe, and He laid aside His glory, became a little baby, and experienced 
for you and me, everything that we go through. Born, placed in a stable, not in elegance, not in privilege. Whisked off to Egypt so he's not killed when he's young. Moves back and grows up in Nazareth. Basically, we don't know if it was a slum, but a very underprivileged place. As he grew up, he starts serving. He ends up serving so much that they hardly have time to eat. He's feeding the multitudes. He's healing the sick. He's seating the little ones on his knee and blessing them and praying for them. He, Jesus became a hero for the underprivileged. The sinners loved him. The Pharisees complained about it. Why is he always hanging out with publicans and sinners? Jesus became their hero. And then he went to the cross as our substitute, taking the weight of our sin on his own shoulders. There is no one who cares for you more than Jesus does. There's no one who has sacrificed more for you. There's no one who is pulling more for you to this very day. Remember his invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's no one more for you than the Lord Jesus Christ. So I challenge you today to examine the Savior. Examine yourself first. Second, examine the Savior and His great love for you. And He indeed wants. He's, the Bible very clearly says that He is not willing that any should perish, but desires all to come to repentance. Won't you turn your heart over to Him today? Examine the Savior. Parable or story number three. This one's a little bit longer, but please read it together with me. Starts in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus did this a lot because he used stories that they could understand and they were very familiar with this picture of shepherds and how they worked with their, with their livestock. So he's going to shep- separate them one for the other. Uh, verse 33, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, 
Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And he will answer them, Truly I say to you, To the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So I believe, at least this is one thought about this parable, I believe that here Jesus is contrasting Again, again, overall, remember, he's contrasting those who are ready for his return with those who are not ready for his return. So here he's contrasting those who ignore the Savior with those who have been transformed by the Savior. So think about it. He said to the sheep, he said to those on his right, You know, you did all of these things. I was in all of these difficult situations, and and you took care of me. And they're surprised. They're like, really? And I believe, personally, this is a description of genuine Christians. It's a description of those who have given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, and often, little by little, Jesus begins changing them. It's not always, I mean, with me, I feel like it's been way too slow. (laughs) Sometimes I see radical changes in people's lives. But sometimes it's just little by little. Jesus changes us. And so we don't realize the big transformation that's taking place. And and maybe maybe we go through life and we end up living for him and for others way more than we realize. And it just doesn't come to mind. And so, so they're surprised and they say, well, Lord, really? Did we really do all those things? But the other group, and, and by the way, I was going to make a list of people for you uh, like this. You know, because I, when I think of people who have been transformed by the Lord, Christians and and just see what they do. Uh, many people in this room, I just see the things that you do. And so people immediately come to my mind. But you probably have your own. So I decided not to make the list. But the other people on this list, uh, or in Jesus' parable, excuse me, were ignoring the Savior. They were not transformed by the Savior. They have not become genuine Christians. And so their lives are not changed. 
And they also will be surprised. Because, because we, in our fallen state, just think that we're okay. We just justify ourselves. And we think that we're okay. That we, you know, we're, we're basically good is one of the bill of goods. One of the lies that has been sold into our society. There are many, many people who have chosen to ignore this whole issue. They've chosen to ignore the Savior or just to pretend that this whole issue doesn't even exist. They've adopted some of the modern lies. All religions are the same. We're all going to the same place. I'm a pretty good person. If God loves everybody, I know I'm basically good, so he's probably just going to let me in when I get there. And they just ignore the whole thing and don't think they need to think about it. So what's the challenge for this group? Our first challenge was to examine ourselves. Second challenge is examine the Savior. And the third challenge here is examine the Scriptures. Examine the Bible. If you're tempted to ignore this battle, this journey that's raging in our world, I'll just give you a couple of quotes from the Bible that point out the importance of this. This is Hebrews 9.27. says, it's been appointed to man to die once. And after this comes the judgment. You know, we have, it's almost a, a joke in our society. We have, well, all you have to do, there's only two things you really have to do. That's die and pay taxes. According to the Bible, that's not so. Two things you have to do are die and face judgment. You will stand before your Creator. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not some, all have sinned. Earlier in Romans chapter 3, it says, there is none righteous, not even one. We need a Savior. Isaiah chapter 53 puts it this way. This way. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We so, so need a Savior. Examine the Scriptures and and allow them to speak into your life. Uh, Allow them to, to, to help you understand that there is such a thing as right and wrong. In our day, people have tried to annihilate this difference. They've, they've tried to come up with the idea that there's no such thing as truth. There's no ultimate right and wrong. Or I get to determine what's right and wrong. And I think all we have to do is look at our world and see that that's really a lie. If we all determine what's right and wrong, we end up with the world that we're currently in and all of the destruction and brokenness and pain and desperation that we're currently in. So we need a Savior. Examine the Scriptures. Examine yourselves. Examine the Savior. Examine the Scriptures. These things will help you be ready for His return. Before we review them all again briefly, I want to read something to you. Uh, This was written by another very famous pastor, 
not even going to say his name because I don't want you to get thinking too much about him. I'll tell you later if you want to know his name. Uh, but this is a very famous pastor, and these are some of, his some of his meditations from the first parable about the wedding feast. And, you know, the, the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins and how only five really made the complete journey. But here's some of his thoughts. Uh, are you ready? A great change has to be wrought in you far beyond any power of yours to accomplish ere you can go in with Christ to the marriage. You must, first of all, be renewed in your nature, or you will not be ready. You must be washed from your sins, or you will not be ready. You must be justified in Christ's righteousness, and you must put on his wedding dress, or else you will not be ready. You must be reconciled to God, and you must be made like to God, or you will not be ready. Or to come to the parable before us, you must have a lamp, and that lamp must be fed with heavenly oil, and it must continue to burn brightly, or else you will not be ready. No child of darkness can go into that place of light. You must be brought out of nature's darkness into God's marvelous light, or else you will never be ready to go in with Christ to the marriage, and to be with him forever. Felt like that was well described. So just to kind of summarize the morning, examine yourselves. Has your heart been transformed? What is the direction of your life? Do you feel guilt when you sin? Or you just feel, well, it's okay. Do you want to be with God's people? Do you want to read His Word? Do you want to, to know Christ and follow Him and make Him the Lord of your life? Has He brought this transformation in you? Secondly, examine the Savior. Remember, He gave Himself for you. He became the substitute for you, took your sin upon Himself, and He is searching for lost sheep. He is looking for everyone who will respond to him. Finally, examine the scriptures. They, they say you must be born again. Jesus said this, John 5, 24. He said, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into life. Those are Jesus' words. Please pray together with me. Lord, again, how we thank you so much for your Bible and just the power of it, the truth of it. And Lord, we thank you for your words, Lord. These words spoken by you, recorded by Matthew, but spoken by you, Lord, to get us ready, to prepare our hearts. Lord, I do pray that we will contemplate these things and that we'll let you have us, Lord, 100%. Um, more today than yesterday, more tomorrow than today. 
We want you to be the Lord of our lives. And Lord, we ask you that you would help us to be soul winners. Lord, to carry this message far and wide. As you allow, as you lead, help us to do so. Father, we just thank you for your great grace. We do thank you for becoming our substitute and for calling us to yourself in your amazing love. We, we just are so thrilled, Lord, to even be called Christians because of who you are. I thank you, Father, for my dear friends here and just pray for your blessings on them today and this week. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.